You're listening to Pastor Rory Rogers as he teaches through the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles ready, let's join him now. We're in Acts chapter 28. We're not going to finish the book today, but if you want to go back 27 chapters to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you have one of the key verses of the book where Jesus, before he ascends, tells the disciples that you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And really that that verse that has so much to offer us, it's really an outline of the book. I mean, as you look at the book of Acts, you just see that the mission to Jerusalem and to Judea is really what what is first happening. And then persecution arises and gets the church spread further north to Samaria. And then, you know, Antioch is is made as the missions hub of the day. And then missions trips go out from there to the uttermost parts of the world. And so by the time we get to chapter 28, Paul's gone on three missionary journeys up through Europe, up through Macedonia, up through Asia. All Asia has heard the gospel. And now he's on kind of a final missionary journey, his his last hurrah on the way to Rome, on the way to preach the gospel to Caesar. And to stand before Caesar, the emperor of Rome. Now, Paul has longed to go to Rome and has expressed that many times uh, in the last six chapters. And, uh, and, and even in his letter to the Romans, which took place three years before Acts 28, he just expresses that longing to get there. In fact, let's flip over in our Bibles just one chapter from where we were to Romans chapter 1 verse 8. Where Paul says to them, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by some means, now at last, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles." I'm a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as is in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. So Paul just had this this urgent, just heart to go and to preach the gospel in Rome and to meet face to face the saints that he knew had dwelt there. And so he had just this request that if by some means, now at last, I might by the will of God come to them. Somehow, Lord, get me to Rome. Well, in the last two chapters, we've seen the Lord's way of getting him to Rome. It was as a prisoner, as a Roman prisoner on a Roman galley ship that would be shipwrecked after being tossed and turned in the ocean for two weeks. They finally shipwrecked on the island of Malta and spent three months there, spent the winter there, where they would get on another Alexandrian vessel and head toward Rome. Paul was a a prisoner. Paul was on a slave ship. 
But he had appealed to Caesar that he might bring his case before that Roman emperor. A lot of historical narrative meets us in chapter 28 of Acts, which is written by Luke. Now, in Luke's gospel, the gospel of Luke, he says at the very beginning that he's giving an orderly account. You got to love that he's got an ordered mind. He's a physician. Some of you here have ordered minds. I'm not positive that I have one. But, you know, Luke does. And for God's glory, he's able to lay things down in an accessible account for us. As you read verses 11 through 16 today, we're going to see that the main plain element in this paragraph is found in the reality and priority of genuine Christian fellowship. Okay, so we're going to get into that. But as you just start off in verse 11, after three months, after they'd been on the island of Malta for three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers, which had wintered at the island. And landing at Syracuse, we stayed there three days. So, you know, the main plain element is just the reality and priority of Christian fellowship. And yet he starts out with just these, this practical information that they got on a ship that had as the figurehead up on the front, you know, the statues that kind of lean out or whatever. These two twin brothers that were known to be the sons of Zeus. They were these gods, these twin gods who really were all about keeping sailors safe. They were all about navigation of the sea. They were nautical gods. And, uh, and, and so these, these guys are on the ship, and Luke puts it in there for a reason. We know that everywhere Paul goes, he'd preach the gospel, right? I mean, everywhere he went. He says in Acts chapter 20 that I'm innocent of the blood of all men. Every man I come across, I tell about Jesus. And so you just know, as he gets onto this Alexandrian ship, you know, he's just looking and, and they notice that there's these, there's these nautical gods, you know, uh, there at the front of, of the ship. And, you know, a lot of us, we've been raised in this area where if there's anything worldly in anything, you, we want to boycott it, don't we? I mean, I grew up in a church that they were just boycotting things left and right. The Happy Meal at the Burger King is a Simpsons doll? Boycott it. You better not be going to Burger King. I remember that. Like, oh, I kind of want a Simpsons doll, you know? <laughs> you know? Or, you know, don't go to Kmart because some owner somewhere out there supports pornography, you know? It's like, what worldly person's not supporting pornography? I mean, it's out there, isn't it? Who's not bad? And who among you are not bad? <laughs> and so instead of having this mentality of like, man, I just, I just, in, in the effort to never touch anything, you know, that might have touched something unholy. I'm just going to kind of like stay in my own little Christian bubble. But, you know, we're told that we're to be out there and we're to be in the world as lights in the world. We're the salt of the earth. We're the light on the world, right? And so why do we, you know, kind of bubble ourselves and, you know, isolate ourselves from the world and really hide our light under a bushel as Jesus tells us not to? Now, we don't know much about why Luke included who was on the front of this ship. John Calvin said that, you know, the sailors had polluted the ship with sacrilege, but Paul was not polluted because he didn't choose it freely. You know, he was just a, a slave or he was a prisoner that was told to get on the ship. So he got on the ship. He was just trying to get to Rome. But you can just picture this guy who was innocent of the blood of all men. He's looking for any opportunity to witness 
And he may have used those idols on the front of the ship as a door, as a vehicle to get the ball rolling and to open up about Jesus. It might have sounded something like this. Hey, what's with those twin brothers? Oh, well, you know, those are the sons of Zeus. They're the gods of the navigation of the sea. It's because of them that we'll have safe passage to Rome. With them, we can go anywhere. And then Rome, you know, and then Paul may have said, really, the gods of navigation? Boy, we could have sure used them on our last ship, you know? Just look over there. See that stern over there getting broken up by the waves? That was the boat I was on in November, you know? I don't think we had anything on the front of our ship. You know, he might have made a little joke like that or something, you know? But then you can just picture him, just come to the serious issue. Well, hey, you know, that's, you, know you, you believe that? Can I just share with you what I believe? You know, and, and maybe in an, in an Acts chapter 17, witnessing to the Athens thing, maybe saying something, I, I perceive in all things you're very religious. But let me tell you about the God who created the sea. The God who makes it calm and who makes it rough. And the God who creates the winds. And the God who, who I know has calmed the Sea of Galilee with a voice, with a rebuke. He's calmed the sea. Let me tell you about him, that he created us and we rebelled against him. And he has every right to sink us to the bottom of this ocean. But in his grace and his mercy, he instead sent his son, Jesus Christ, to lay down his life as a ransom for every one of us. You know, and just leading into the gospel like that. I think that these people that were on this boat heard about Jesus, had the privilege uh, two days ago, was speaking at a camp in Bandon, took Devin with me and just had a good time with Devin and just praying like, Lord, just, you know, we got a back seat here that's just totally empty. You know, you'd have us pick somebody up, you know, that'd be awesome. And you would go all the way there, not a single hitchhiker, all the way to the coast, even driving through Eugene, not a hitchhiker, you know, it's like nobody, you know, coming back, we're driving on the McKenzie highway. And I just, I was reminded like this empty seat back here. I'm not kidding you. I said, Lord, do you have a hitchhiker for us? We go around a corner, boom, there's Earl. Okay. Hitchhiking. I am like, you know, and pull around, circle around. I don't think he knew, knew what I was doing. Pull back around. You going my way? You know, I always wanted to say that. And or maybe he was saying that. I don't know. And, you know, I just hop in, buddy. Oh, air conditioning. You know, he'd been there for six hours and nobody had stopped and gotten him. And so we're driving, you know, and he cussed a few times like, man, it's blankety hot out there and this and that, you know, and we're like, yeah, it sure is, you know, and crank the AC up there for you. And, you know, as we're driving, just hearing about his life, motorcycle accident, and, you know, he almost died and, you know, just this and that, just keep driving and, and, uh, finally able to share, Hey, you know, we're coming back from a camp, a Christian camp, 125 kids worshiping Jesus. Man, it was awesome. Oh, I bet it was awesome. You know, he's like, you know, <laughs> it's like, I'm a pastor in Prineville. Oh, whoa. You know? And, uh, so I, as we're driving, I didn't say anything, but that's where we're coming from, you know? And he goes, finally, you know, he starts throwing out like, man, I, I've really been trying to be a good person lately. Man, I've really been good. I'm good. You know, like four times, like good, good, good. I'm like, I haven't told you how good I am. And he hasn't either. Like, what are you, you know? <laughs> and as we're driving, finally, you know, I'm just like, Lord, where do I get to throw the J word in there? Where, do, where here, here, you know, and just finally go, Hey, so, uh, so where are you at with the Lord? Where are you at with Jesus? 
And he said, oh, man, I'm, I'm an agnostic, and, you know, I just kind of believe every, you know, I don't know, but, you know, people, all their gods are good, and, you know, they're all up in this, like, rotation up there in heaven, and, you know, whatever you believe down here, it's all good, it's all going to kind of come to pass, you know, and I'm like, okay, 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 and, you know, just driving, I was like, hey, can I just share with you what I believe? And it was really neat because he was very respectful. You know, I had a witnessing experience last week where they're just not respectful. You know, it's just, that's okay, that happens. But it was just kind of nice to have a respectful conversation. And yeah, yeah, go ahead, share. And so I shared with him and it just that, man, I don't believe in many gods. I believe there is one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through him. I believe in one that Acts chapter 4 tells us there is the name of Jesus And no other name is given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. And I go, so here's the deal. And I threw out the C.S. Lewis line. I go, you know, Jesus is either a liar or a lunatic or he's got to be Lord. Like either you're right or I'm right. But we're not both right. And just for the sake of conversation, Earl, what if I'm right? Let's say there's a 50% chance that I'm right. Just conversation. Let's say one day you die and you stand before the God that created you and you've spat upon his son and you didn't receive what his son did for you on the cross. And you're just like, whoa, yeah, you know, and just, man, just sharing with him. Hour and a half got to share with him, got to reason with him. I got to give him reasons. He's like, man, a lot of people have picked me up and they just cram it down my throat. They don't have reasons. They just, this is what you need to believe. And man, you've given me reasons. I was like, well, you got to do something with those reasons. You've got to believe. And, you know, it's not like he broke down in the back seat and cried and confessed Jesus. But, man, he's just like, man, this is really something I'm going to be thinking about. I'm going to go read the book of John. I'm going to read. And I told him, read John, read Acts, read the epistles. I said, this is why they're there. And just, every, you know, this is why the Bible, this is where it came from, the resurrection. And I was just proving it to him, reasoning with him. And he got out. And it was just so encouraging to be used by the Lord like that. I'll tell you, just little slumps, you know, where you're not sharing your faith. You're not really telling people about Jesus. You kind of start to get scared again. I'll tell you what, about four or five different opportunities in three weeks to tell people about Jesus. It's like the Lord's removing that fear. So I just encourage you guys, start sharing. And it'll start, the fear will start to go away. You'll start to be more confident in the Lord and the spirit will speak through you. But the cool thing is you can look for those, you know, I believe in a lot of gods and, you know, the Zeus gods that are on the mast of the ship, you know, and they will lead us. And, oh, okay, okay. So you're religious, you're spiritual, you know, okay. So, hey, can I share with you what I believe, why I believe it, the reasons behind it, and how you've got no reasons, and I've got every reason? You want to humble yourself here? You want to be broken before the Lord? You want to repent of idolatry? I bet Paul did something like that for the many days that he was on the ship. But, you know, not to read into it too much, but Luke put, there were these gods on the front of the ship. And we know who Luke believed, and we know who Paul believed in. And I bet they opened their mouth about it. But verse 12 says, you know, we came to Syracuse. We stayed there for three days. Tradition tells us that Paul planted a church in Syracuse in three days. That's pretty awesome. You know, so this church was planted there. Verse 13, from there we circled round and reached Regium. And after one day, the south wind blew. And the next day we came to Petoliae. Now, This uh, going round words, you know, I don't know much about sailing, but I guess, you know, if the wind is not at your back, then you kind of got to do this like zigzaggy thing. I don't know. But um, so for a while they did this zigzaggy roundabout and then all of a sudden there's this south wind blew and they made 200 miles in one day. I mean, they just hauled. um, So the wind was at their back. 
there at Petoli. And verse 14, it was there where we found brethren and were invited to stay with them seven days. And so we went to Rome. Now, this is where we begin to get into the main plane element of the paragraph. Again, it's the reality and the priority of genuine Christian fellowship. And so here at, at uh, I always butcher it, Petoli, here at Petoli, we see, first of all, that they found brethren. I'm going to give you five things that we can glean from this chapter on fellowship. First of all, they found fellowship because they were searching for fellowship. You know, Luke and Aristarchus and Paul had a preoccupation for Christian fellowship. They found it because they were looking for it. Why don't you just flip back a couple chapters to Acts 21 verse 4 through 8. We see that this was just common for them to do as they were traveling. It says, finding disciples, Acts 21 4, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go to Jerusalem. When we come to the end of those days, we departed and went on our way, and they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city, and we knelt down on the shore and prayed. When we'd taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship, and they returned home. And when we'd finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemais, greeted the brethren, stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Paul the evangel- uh, Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. So in his journeys, you know, Paul, who had resources, I mean, he was an apostle, you know, um, he didn't stay at the Motel 8 or the Hilton or anything like that. Where did he stay? He was staying with brothers and sisters in the Lord. He was staying with disciples and brethren. And that was usually the first thing they'd do is they'd seek out Christians. And we see that for them, the gathering of God's people is a priority. And it will always be a priority of God's child who's in touch with God. They're going to want to be in touch with his people. As one man said, if you and I are able to go to another community without a priority of seeking out the companionship of others who love Jesus, it is an indication of the cooling of our affection for Jesus. Convicting. (laughs) When we go on vacation or when we go on trips and we're spending a good amount of time, we're spending time in a community, we should be looking around for those for whom Christ has died. For those that we have fellowship with. In the Greek, koinonia, communion, community, commonness. We have Jesus. And we're told by the writer of Hebrews in chapter 10, verse 24, close your eyes right now. And as I read it, listen to it as if it was the first time you've ever heard this. Because it'll be redundant to some of you. I've heard it before, I've heard it before. Yeah, We're not practicing it though. So, okay, so clear the slate, close your eyes and listen to this. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You can open your eyes. You guys didn't even have your eyes closed. We are to be considering one another, thinking about one another. 
mindful of one another, that we can stir up love and good works. And a way that doesn't happen is by neglecting fellowship. It's by neglecting the assembling of ourselves together. And so we're told by the inspired word of God that corrects us and reproves us and instructs us that we are not, if you are a Christian, you are not to forsake the assembling of yourself together with the body of Christ. If you do, you're in sin. And not only do we not search out for fellowship, so often we push ourselves away from fellowship. Our fallen condition, our sinful man calls us out towards independence. There's pride in that. Our sinful man calls us out into isolation. Being all by ourselves so that we can escape any form of accountability, any form of being challenged or being sharpened or being called on the carpet. That's just too uncomfortable for me. I don't want any part of it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of scale back my fellowship level to the bare minimum so that I can just get by and, you know, hopefully have enough of an appearance of a Christian that I'll, you know, hopefully get to heaven which is so works-based and filthy and abomination to the Lord, but that's so much of our heart. I'm just going to totally scale back, and then I won't have anyone call me on the carpet or rebuke me for that sin or ask me how I'm really doing because I really don't want to tell them how I'm really doing. That is the enemy that wants to get you to that place. He wants you to feel like the leper who's an outcast of society, who just gets sicker and sicker and has more and more body parts falling off and just gets so unclean and smells so bad that they're just cast out of the village. That's where he wants you. And that's what sin does. It isolates you. Takes you farther than you'd ever thought you'd go. You know, even if the isolation begins, you know, it's not like you have any major sin in your life that someone would call on you. You've just been neglecting the fellowship with the saints for a while. And many of us have been there. And so what happens? We begin to feel conviction from the Holy Spirit. But, you know, there's so many better things to do on a Sunday, a Wednesday, a Saturday, or whatever day that we would be going to fellowship. So many better things to do that I'm going to choose those instead. In fact, just talking with people, you know, in the last couple weeks, they're like, honestly, I'm looking for anything that I can do to not go to church. And And Christians that would say that. And they're like, I know it's wrong, but it just starts out small and then it gets bigger. And pretty soon I'm just, I'm not in fellowship and I'm choosing these other things and this, I'm convicted about it. And I don't want to see anybody from church because they're going to be like, where you been? And I don't want them to say that. So I'm not going to go another week. And, I, and I, that's even worse now. It's been another week and, ah, you know, it's a slippery slope. It just begins with us just not being in fellowship and in the light with one another and being real. Man, just if you're going to be gone, just hey, hey, just want you to know I'm going to be gone for a week. I'm going to be gone for two weeks. But I'll be back, you know. And that we wouldn't let it go that long with each other that oh, I, don't know, I don't really know where they are. Ten weeks later, I should probably call them. But that's going to be awkward, so I just won't. Man, the enemy wants us to be isolated. He wants us to get to that point that we're like that sheep that's just away from the flock and the wolf can just maul us. He wants to get you there. And Proverbs chapter 18 tells us that the man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. 
You're just looking out for yourself. And then it says that he rages against all wise judgment. It's foolishness to isolate yourself. It's foolishness to get away from the koinonia, the commonness, the community of the saints. We should be searching out for fellowship. We should be searching out for communion. Let's look back at Acts chapter 2, verse 42, another just key section of scripture in the book of Acts, where we see the practice of the early church. It says that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Is that you? Insert your name. And Rory continued steadfastly. He persevered in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, breaking of bread, prayers. It says, Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles' All who believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and their good and they divided among them all as anyone had need. And so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those that were being saved. When there was this continual, daily practice, perseverance, and fellowship, breaking bread, being in each other's houses. The Lord began to add to the church those that were being saved. It was attractive to the outside world. Signs and wonders were beginning to happen as fellowship was was taking place. And so we see a searching for fellowship. Something that we should be doing, searching for that regular fellowship with each other. Second of all, we see a hospitable fellowship. In verse 14 of Acts chapter 28, we found brethren and we were invited to stay with them for seven days. That's hospitality. Romans chapter 12, verse 13, after we're told to have our eyes on Jesus, to to worship him and to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, then we're told, then after that upreach takes place, let's inreach to the body and then outreach to the world. And at the inreach to the body part, Romans 12, 13, says that we're to be distributing to the needs of the saints and given to hospitality. Is that happening in your world? You're given to hospitality. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, you can flip over there, says that above all things, we're to have a fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. And we're to be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Seven days of being hospitable. Oh man, that's the, that's the breaking point, isn't it? Goodness gracious, you got two nights in my house, you know, and then you're out. Okay, just letting you know, it's going to get weird in a day and a half. I'm going to be hinting towards you that, <laughs> you know, but the Ptolemies or whatever they're called, you know, this Christian brotherhood, seven days, man, seven days. You need more? You got seven days. A week. 
My house is your house. My blankets are your blankets. My refrigerator, your refrigerator. Seven days, hospitality. And as we look within our church, you know, there's new people here that need to get plugged in. And there's people who've been going here for years and have never set foot in another family's home in this church. Or if they have, it's so sparse, you could count the number of times on one hand. Never shared meals with others. And our tendency is to say, man, we're so busy. Just so busy. That I don't have time for fellowship. I don't have time to have you over after church to my house. Junior needs a nap. Senior needs a nap. (laughs) Mama needs a nap. You know, just... Sunday afternoons, no, the rest of the work I, week I work, you know, it's just, it's just never going to happen, sorry. Fellowshippers for those in full-time ministry. Unbiblical. Unbiblical. You know, the tendency for us is to say, we're so busy, someone else will have to invite them over. Okay? And many of us have that attitude, right? Okay, you're even like, oh gosh, don't look at me, Rory. Just so you know, I'm looking at everybody. I'm looking in the air. Nobody here has sinned. Nobody here. Everyone's good. Okay. No, that's not true. Okay. Our tendency is to be, oh, man, I'm, I'm so busy. I'd love to. Someone else will have to invite that new person over. It just can't be me. Guess what everyone else is thinking? Oh, man, I'm so busy. Someone else is going to have to ask. You know, man, if not you, then who? If not you, then who? Be the one to start the ball rolling, getting fellowship happening in this body. Be that one. May, may the opposite actually take place. Oh, hey, you want to come over? Oh, dude, I'd love to, but so-and-so already invited me, and before they invited me, they invited me. So I've got four weeks of, you know, I'm just so much fellowship happening. Put you on the calendar. May that be the problem in our church. Hospitable fellowship. It had to be awesome for Paul to be traveling and to find Christians you know, so far outside of Rome, you know, so much has happened to advance the gospel in the last 40 years. And as Luke keeps this orderly account, you might ask him, man, what was, the, what was it like to be out on the sea, the open sea, you know? Or, or what was it like to come into that harbor and to see the three famous volcanoes that, you know, two had erupted and one they were just waiting for erupt. And were you like, oh, it's going to erupt on us. Hurry, get out. You know, or what was it like? And, you know, he's just like, man, I don't really remember any of that. I'm not really going to write it down. I'll tell you what I remember. Those saints there who took us in for seven days. I mean, that'd be the highlight of our vacations. That church we went to. And the fellowship that we had. The people that reached out to us. So we stayed with them for seven days. And so, verse 14, we went toward Rome. And from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as Apostles. Appy Forum and three ends. Now, when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. We see a great cost for fellowship in verse 15 that these Christians from Rome went down the Appian Way, the main road there out of Rome. Paul had still had 125 miles to travel, and yet these Romans come down and meet him 125 miles out and then turn around and go 125 miles back. That's a great cost to love on each other and to encourage each other. And when Paul saw them, 
he thanked God and took courage. Number three here, we see fellowship brings about thanks and praise to God. You can flip over to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Imagine, you know, being Paul and considering, man, you know, the journey's almost over and it's really going to happen. I'm really going to stand before Caesar Nero. Man, am I ready for this? You know, this is like the biggest king I've, you know, given a defense for yet. Oh man, you know, maybe getting a little butterflies in the stomach or something. And then maybe thinking, oh, the, the Roman church, they're there. Man, I wonder if they even remember me. I wonder if they read that letter I wrote them. I wonder if they've like put chapters and verses to it so they can help, help them memorize it. You know, I wonder, I wonder. Hopefully they remember. And then to look up 125 miles out and to see the Christians coming. Coming to stand by him. I taught 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 at this high school camp I was at that we've been chosen to be men and women of praise and of worship. And it says in verse 4, it says that we're coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifice accepted to God through Christ Jesus. You know, we've talked about the church and how in Scripture there's a few different pictures given of the church. You know, we've talked about a flock, and we're, we're little lammies, you know. And we have shepherds called elders, and then we have a chief shepherd that, you know, uh, shepherds the flock, right? We're, we're sheep, you know. Don't get away from the flock. You'll get mauled by the wolf. We need to be fed, all of that stuff. Another picture in Scripture in Ephesians chapter 5 is that we are a bride, right? Sorry, guys, get over it. We're a bride, okay? I'm manly too, and I've dealt with it, okay? Um, <clears throat> you know, we're a bride, and Jesus is our groom, and the intimate relationship that we have through covenant with Christ is just, the best picture we can have of that is the covenant relationship between a husband and a wife. It's the best we can do on this earth, so we try to, that's what we use. Man, we can be so close to Jesus, it's like a husband and a wife in covenant relationship. So that's one picture. And then we have here in 1 Peter that we're all like living stones, like the rolling stones, but living, you know. You know, Jesus said, man, if they don't praise my name, then the rocks are going to have to cry out. And so, okay, so the rocks, we're like rocks. They're going to cry out. And we're made into this living spiritual house. And that house, it's a house of praise. It's a house of worship. And we're chosen for that. And then if you jump down to verse 9 there in 1 Peter chapter 2, it says this, but you are a chosen generation. Okay? Here's what a generation is. It's a group of genetically related organisms constituting a single step in the line of a descent. Man, isn't that what we are as Christians? We are a group of genetically related organisms. We're a chosen generation. Chosen by God for this, to be a royal priesthood, it says. A kingly priesthood. And the word priesthood in the Greek, it literally means a fellowship of priests. Guys and girls, you know, Jew and Gentile, if you're in Christ, you're chosen to be a generation and to be priests who offer praises to the Lord. A holy nation. 
excuse me, a holy nation. Here's what a holy nation is. It's a body of people under a single government. It's a body of people. One person doesn't make up a nation. A whole bunch of people make up a nation. Or it's also known as a commonwealth. It's what we are as Christians. We're a commonwealth, a community where there's communion. It's fellowship. It's koinonia. We are his own special people or peculiar people. There's something peculiar about that group. I got my eye on them. A special people that you might, here it is, that you might proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, who were once not a people, but now are a people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So now that we are a generation, okay, now that we're all priests called to come and minister and worship and bring worship in this spiritual house that we've been made and stacked up into and assembled into. Here's what we do. We proclaim his praises. That word proclaim, it's this awesome word. I learned it this week. You guys have all heard of evangelize, right? Okay. Evangelion. It's the language from the battlefield. Someone would evangelize when there was good news to bring. We've won the battle. We've won the battle. I'm evangelizing. Jesus has won the battle. That's evangelism, right? To proclaim the praises in 1 Peter chapter 2, it's proclaim is the word ex-angelon. Instead of evangelize, it's ex-angelize. And what it means is, as we are praising the Lord, lifting up his name, extolling greatness to him, ascribing greatness to him, other people are going to see us doing that to him and they're going to get saved. It's kind of upreach and outreach all at the same time. Up outreach, you know, as I'm worshiping Jesus and, and I'm declaring that, Lord, you've brought me out of darkness and into your marvelous light. I wasn't a person. And then you chose me and you made me a person. I was in darkness, but now I'm in light. And you remember Acts chapter 26, Jesus told Paul, the gospel that he was to preach, that he was to call people out of darkness and into light and from the power of Satan to God. And he was to proclaim to them forgiveness of sins. How great is that? And that they would have an inheritance incorruptible. And man, when you realize that you've been taken from the power of Satan to the power of God, when you've been taken from darkness and brought into light. When you realize those things, when you realize all those things that I've done that are, you just can't even mention them, and I've been forgiven of them, never to be remembered again. I have an inheritance. In this world, I won't have an inheritance. I have one in that world, and it's uncorruptible. What does that make you want to do? I'm here to meet with you. No, it makes you want to, like that psalm we read. Praise the Lord! Exclamation point! Praise you, Lord! Hey, if, if, there's, a, if there's a star in the sky that could worship, worship, star, worship, worship him, star. If there's a heaven and a heaven's heaven, you worship, you know. There's some little sea creature under the earth, you know, under the sea with, with tentacles and a little beak thing that it eats the plankton with. You worship too, whatever, kings and princes, and worship him, praise him. Because look what we have to praise him for. 
And as we do that, other people, as we really praise him biblically the way we should praise him, other people are going to come in here and they're going to see us loving our Savior. And they're going to go, I want that. I want that. Psalm chapter 40, verses 1 through 3. You don't have to flip there. You probably know it. It's a popular song. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, out of the quicksand. And he set my feet upon a rock and he established my steps. He gave me stability. He set me on the rock. Jesus is the rock. Then it says this. And then he put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. And many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. Man, as we worship and praise, praise to the Lord. He brought me up out of the miry pit. People are going to see that and go, I want that. I want to be brought out of the miry pit. And because I can be forgiven of sins, I'm going to fear that God that's forgiven me and granted me great mercy. Exangelo, to witness through our worship. Number one, greatest method of church growth. Not fancy PowerPoint and videos and a really cool worship band. We got all those things. No, I'm kidding. Um, It's people bringing people to church. It's people bringing people to church. And not that that's the only source of hearing the gospel. Preach to them out in the world and then bring them here where they're going to get preached to some more. And they're going to get to see these living stones that who've been chosen to do that, worshiping God. Watch them get saved. The reason for the outer court of the Gentiles in the temple wasn't to shun the non-believer, but it was so that the Gentiles could hear the praises going on and they would want to be a part of that and they could be adopted in to Israel. There were two different deportations of Jews out of Rome, one before Jesus and one after Jesus. And remember Aquila and Priscilla were part of that out of the dispensation out of Rome. Here's why they were kicked out of Rome, Jews. Because too many Romans were becoming Jews. They were, you know, to some, they were fulfilling that purpose of being a light to the nations. Some of them were. And so we have that witnessing through worship. Fourth thing out of five. We have a fellowship that brings encouragement. It says there that when Paul saw them, he thanked God, he praised God, and he took courage. And here we see a supernatural wonder of being in the Lord Jesus. You know, that that the Romans could come over the hill and Paul could have courage in his heart all of a sudden. He thanked the Lord and he took courage. That word courage means daring boldness. We're lifted up. We're given courage where there's more of us. In Acts chapter 18, verse 5, you know, Paul had been preaching. He left Timothy and Silas up in Macedonia. And it appears that he kind of like hit this rut in his, in his preaching. And it says in 18.5, when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and began to preach salvation to the Jews. And how are we encouraged when we're around others that are, we're fellowshipping and we're all on mission preaching the gospel? And oh no, I'm getting timid again. I'm getting kind of scared. But there they go. They're witnessing over there. I'm going to go witness too. We spur each other on for that. 
In 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 15, David was becoming discouraged because King Saul was after him, wanted to pin him to the wall. And it says that David saw that Saul had come to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. And then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hands in the Lord. Fellowship strengthens each other's hands in the Lord. It creates in us daring boldness. And the Romans did that for Paul. It wasn't because they were already friends and they knew each other, because they didn't. They hadn't met. It wasn't because they had some natural affection for each other. They didn't. And it wasn't because they shared concerns about, you know, the, the nature of Roman society. That wasn't what Paul was concerned about. It was because they had unity in Christ Jesus. They had commonness in Christ Jesus. It just shows us how awesome Christian fellowship is. This greeting, a greeting that could take Paul and put daring courage in him. This greeting people at church as we see one another, it's not something to take or leave. In fact, I would encourage many of you to, to sign up to be on the greeting ministry. Something we all should, I don't, I don't greet people. To greet people breathes life into people. It brings encouragement to people. It's a reality in Christ. We should have vigilant eyes just looking around. Who can I greet? Who can I love on? I'm going to look for students. You know, we get people from COCC over here. I'm going to look for students, you know. I'm going to look for the new person. Watch out, new person. I'm on you, you know. I'm going to look for the widow. The widow that had been married for decades and knew that all the time love and fellowship and friendship with her husband and now he's gone and here's what i've got i've got church i'm going to come to church and i'm going to sit by myself and no one's going to come sit by me i'm going to leave and no one's really going to talk to me no one's going to get a hold of me during the week look for the widows look for the divorced look for the new people man lord forbid did anybody leave this sanctuary ever and not have been touched with the love of Christ through a person? That the Lord wouldn't have used our hands and our feet and our mouths to speak encouragement and love into people's lives. Paul was encouraged when he saw the fellowship of Rome coming to see him. Verse 15, or I'm sorry, verse 16 now, when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Now, when reading this, you know, I, I'd picture myself being a prisoner on this ship and going through two weeks of just horrible seasickness and we're all going to die. We're all going to die. You don't eat for two weeks because we're all going to die. You get shipwrecked. You spend three months together on a, you know, around a campfire singing Kumaya and all that, you know, surely some relationships are being built with my captors, you know, and like, we're getting good, right? We're good. We're good. Past sins forgotten, you know? And then you make it to Rome and he delivers you to the captain of the guard. Dang it. You know, bummer. That was all for nothing. You know, Paul, he gets some special treatment, which he did throughout the trip. He had some private dwelling and he was under house arrest. And it's here in verse 16 that we see the final fellowship. It appears to be kind of an unlikely fellowship as he's given a guard to watch over him. 
Now, it's possible that Paul had kind of a succession of, of soldiers who would come in shifts and were assigned to the task of the Apostle Paul. Each soldier found himself chained to the Apostle Paul. So, you know, it wasn't only that Paul was chained to the soldier, but it was equally true that the soldier was chained to Paul. I don't know what's worse, (laughs) you know. Probably at first, that soldier's like, get me away from this zealous guy, you know. But in God's providence, the soldier was placed in a place that he could just be witnessed to by Paul, you know, 12-hour shifts, and he'd get to watch Paul. And in seizing this opportunity, Paul, we just know him. We know he would have lived in such a way that the soldiers observed him. A few things. The soldiers observed and saw how he lived. First things that he did in his day. You know, did he whip out his little Bible scroll, you know? Or did he read the newspaper first, you know? How many cups of joe did he have, you know? What, what were the important things? How many Paul push-ups did he do? You know, you just, you know someone when you're chained to them. You know, when people come in, how does he interact with people? What does he do for entertainment? How do people love him and how does he love people back? These soldiers observed Paul. And if I were chained to you, I'd find out a great deal about you and vice versa, both ways. You know, Paul would write in Philippians chapter 4, which is one of his prison epistles, that, you know, I don't need anything. I've learned that whatever state I'm in, I'm to be content. I've learned how to be abased, and I've learned to abound. And then he would write later, hey, so do all things without grumbling and complaining. And as he's writing this, no doubt the, you know, it wasn't all in secret, you know, as he probably dictated it out. Probably this soldier heard it, you know, grumbling and complaining, do all things without. You know, the soldier probably was able to say, he lives what he writes. Or he was able to say, he writes it so that he could live it out better. But he would know Paul. He would hear Paul's prayers in the prison epistle of Ephesians, praying for the Ephesians that, you know, they would be strengthened with might through the spirit in in the inner man and that they might know what is the height and width and depth and breadth to know the love of Christ. And perhaps the Roman guard would say, who is that love to? To just the Jews or? That's to the whole world. And if you, Roman soldier number one, would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you could be saved. These soldiers probably listened as he dictated his letters, like being chained to C.S. Lewis, you know, or John Piper or Chuck Smith or you know, your favorite, you know. It's like, man, I got to hear it all right when it was dictated. But Philippians chapter 1 verse 12 shows us this, and we're closing. It says, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it's become evident to the whole palace guard And to all the rest, that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident in my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Man, he was a a salt to the soldiers. They knew that his chains were in Christ. And man, do you guys realize that you are chained to people every day? You have this unlikely fellowship with people every day. And it's not, it's not the same fellowship we have with Christians, but it's a, there's a commonness that we have with people every day. We're chained to those people that are in the cubicle next to us. We're chained to the welder 
you know, who's burning rod right down the line. We are chained to the other truck drivers. We are chained to these people. You name your situation. And they're listening to you. They're watching the first things that you do in your day. They're watching, you know, how you react when good things happen. Who you give glory to. If you take it for yourself or if you give it away. They're watching how you suffer. They're watching if you complain. If you've got a negative spirit. No bumper sticker on your car or gospel track that you can hand out can compensate for a negative attitude. They're watching you. They're chained to you. Paul being in prison doesn't silence him or ruin his witness. It's not an impediment to him. It's a platform for him that he gets to preach the gospel. I get to be chained to a non-believer every day, man. You know, similar to me, like when I'm out sharing, you know, you're talking to people and then they go, what do, what do you do? I'm a pastor. Boom. Automatic, like, let's talk about the Lord. Okay. Hey, why are you in jail? I'm in jail for Jesus. Literally. So what do you want to talk about? <laughs> I want to talk about Jesus. <laughs> That's why I'm in jail. People are chained to you guys every day. Be the light of the world to them. Don't hide it under a basket. In that same passage in Matthew, you're the salt of the earth. You make people thirsty for Jesus. You bring healing like salt brings healing. You're a preservative like salt preserves. But if you lose your saltiness, how are you going to be made salty again? It'll be good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled upon. How's that for encouragement? You're chained to people. Cry out for the power of the Holy Spirit that you can be salt every day you're chained. Going to have the worship team come on up and wrap on up and... You know, this whole talk about fellowship, community, unity. We're talking fellowship in Christ. We're talking fellowship with Christ and with each other. And some of you, you just don't get it. It doesn't make sense to you. I say because you're not in Christ. You've never been forgiven for, by, by Christ for all of your sins. You've never been clothed in his white garments of righteousness. But today you come to Calvary Chapel in dirty clothes of filthy sin. And today there's, a, there's an imaginary bin in the aisle. And you get to take those dirty robes off and throw them in the bin and let Jesus clothe you and white robes of righteousness. As you fall down before him and just say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. I turn from my sins. I confess my sins before you. And I ask for forgiveness. And Lord, I ask that you would take out my heart of stone and put in me a heart of flesh that beats and can know you, Lord can have fellowship with you and have fellowship with others. You can cry that out to the Lord right now where you're at. That the Lord would take the blindness away. That he would convey you from darkness to light. That he would take you from the power of Satan to the power of God. That he would forgive you of your sins and he would give you an inheritance. Eternal life in heaven. Right now where you're at. Don't go one more day 
walking in darkness and blindness and in the power of the devil. Right now where you're at, receive his grace and his forgiveness and his mercy. The best way you know how, just in your heart, say, Lord, I confess my sins. Wash me clean. Shower me with your mercy. Help me to understand this fellowship that we speak of. 1 John 1, 7 says that if we walk in light as God is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Today as we worship, man, we meet, may we fellowship in our worship. And as we're looking around the lonely, the hurting, maybe the Lord will just tell you, go pray for that person. Just go pray for them. Get up during these songs. Go pray for them. Have fellowship with one another. Walk in the light. Be transparent with one another. May there be reciprocity. May may that just be like, man, I'm going to be transparent with you now. Pray for me in this. Let's have that fellowship. As we worship, let's be those priests today that we've been chosen to be, huh? Let's be that chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a special people. The man, may we, we would know what we've been saved out of and we'd worship. And may those that aren't saved walking by, may they feel the earth tremble and go, I want that. Ex Angelo is happening in there. Let's worship, huh? In Jesus' name. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754, or check us out further on our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.